Welcome to Elite Team Athletics Podcast. Be sure to check us out on iHeartRadio and Apple Podcasts. Click that subscribe button and leave a comment. Anyways, I'm your host, Kyle Coglatore, and I have the pleasure of having two-time All-American, Winona State Hall of Famer, and former NFL coach, hopefully back in the league soon, Carson Walsh with us today. How's it going, coach? Great. Thanks for having me. You know what? I wanted to bring you back to your college days. Two-time All-American, Hall of Famer. You're one of the greatest special teamers and running backs the program's ever seen. Talk to me about your playing days and what made you, you know, continue after that to get into coaching. Yeah, I feel, you know, very fortunate um, playing at Winona State. Had the opportunity to play with my older brother, Travis, and my younger brother, Ryan, in the same backfield for a four-year stretch. And uh, it was a great situation down there because they just went to Division II a couple years prior and um, close to home. Uh, But they just started winning football games, you know. They kind of went on a run in the late 90s and early 2000s and was in a great system. Coach Sawyer was a, was a great head coach for us, great mentor for us. And our offensive coordinator um, was a very creative guy, and he gave us a lot of opportunities, gave me a lot of opportunities to touch the ball in, in a variety of forms. So uh, I had great quarterbacks, great players around me, and I, was, I just feel blessed that um, it was the right system for me to, to really um, excel at, at Winona State. And then uh, after college, you know, my brother was doing his GA there at Winona coaching us. And I just decided to try it, you know, and I didn't know how it'd go. I had a degree in education, was going to get a master's in education. And uh, once I started coaching, you know, it was, it was almost like a disease. You know, you go to bed at night and you're sitting there thinking of, you know, what can we do in this situation? What pass concept should we run on this third down? And then it just kind of grows on you, and it's the only thing I've known how to do for the last 20 years. Well, you know, it's, it's really funny. I wanted to bring up your brother. I don't know if you know this, but your brother recruited me at St. Thomas. Yes, yes, you told me. I talked oh. to him this morning. He's coming <laughs> over this afternoon, so he said to say hi to you. Right on. I wanted to surprise you with that to see what your normal reaction would be. He was yeah. awesome guy. Um, my career didn't get to really work out the way that I wanted it to. My, my grandfather got sick. And I had a, a shoulder surgery coming into college. And by the time I was able to come and play, it was my junior year. And I just kind of felt old compared to everybody else. I didn't feel like I was really in it or anything. You know what I mean? So, but your, your brother, very awesome guy. He, he was one of the coolest dudes ever. Yeah. He's uh he's, he's a family man now. So he's got three little girls and they keep him uh, real busy. Oh, I can only imagine, you know, and, and then the other thing I wanted to talk to you, you brought up your GA. I also saw on there that you're actually a professor for Winona. Is that a typo or is that for real? Well, a lot of times in small college football, they want you to have your master's. So if you have to teach any classes, you typically need a master's to teach in college. Uh, I'm not a professor. I would not say that, but there were classes we did have to teach, whether it be a a weight training class or uh, I think I had to teach bowling once. (laughs) Um, and then at Dakota state before that, I had to teach some, I think health and wellness classes as well. So, uh, there's a little bit of that going on in small college football. Yeah. You have more priorities than just coaching ball. That's awesome. That's when I, when I saw that, I was like, I got to ask him that one right off the bat. 
<laughs> so you you also you ended up going from college. You didn't stay to do it at Winona to coach right away, did you, or did you not? Because I see on here you went to OC at Dakota State. Yes. So I did my GA. So I was at Winona for two years uh, after I played, and then I had to go find a job, and that was the only place that offered me a job. So it was in Madison, South Dakota, NAIA school. Um, I was the offensive coordinator. I mean, I wasn't ready to be an offensive coordinator at 23, but uh, you live and you learn and you just do the best you can. And uh, they were a school that hadn't had a lot of success in recent years. I think they maybe won three games in three years. And then I ended up being there for three years and we got them, we got them to 500. And it was a good experience for me as a, as a young coach. And then you went on to my alma mater, UST, as a special teams coordinator. You missed your brother, though. So yes. You guys kick yourself about that when you're sitting at the dinner table? Um, you know, we always talk about, you know, what it would be like to coach together. And there was probably some opportunities at Winona State through the years. It just never worked out, you know. he's He's got his thing. He was at St. Thomas for a long time, obviously, and they are winning a pilot game. So um, he had a great career coaching. Maybe one day he gets back in it, but. Yeah, we never crossed paths that way. Um, just at Winona, we did for for a year, so that's about it. That's pretty crazy. I mean, it, 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 when you're going to bed at night, are you texting each other sometimes about concepts and ideas? Um, it's more com- just general conversations on the phone. And, you know, he, he moved over to the defensive side uh, where I've always been on the offensive side. So, we probably talked more about it in the years where we were both on the same side of the ball. Okay. Yeah. And then you went back to Winona as an assistant head coach, but then it gets interesting because then you jump in and you play in the or not play coach in the CFL. Yes. So a- Andy Bischoff, who was a longtime coach at Creighton Durham Hall, he's now the tight ends coach for the uh, Houston Texans. He gave me a call because he was in Canada working for Mark Trestman and said, hey, we have this um, guest coaching opportunity, basically an internship in Canada prior to your football season at Winona for two weeks. Would you like to come? I said, absolutely. You know, I knew Mark Trestman was a Minnesota guy. Bish was a Minnesota guy. So I went up there for two weeks, and Mark Trestman basically said, write down good and bad everything you see for the two weeks, and we're going to meet every day or every couple of days on what you see. So I did it. You know, I was just consulting you know, watching, watching how they operate every day. It was a great experience for me. And then I left and a, a day after I left coach Trustman called and said, would like to offer you a job up here. And then I ended up accepting, which was hard because it was late summer and Winona state was about to start up. So I had to go to my head coach and say, you know, I'm kind of hanging out to dry here. And he was, he was awesome about it. He just said, it's, you know, it's a dream come true for you. So I was off and running in, in Canada and learning, you know, CFL football. And that, I mean, obviously you and Tressman have a long history because you end up following him to the Bears. Um, but, I mean, what, what is that interaction like? When you're first starting out, you're a young guy. Are you scared to give him critiques? Well, I mean, when he gave me the job assignment, he said anything and everything. So that's what I did. Um, I wasn't I, – probably in the beginning I was a little bit nervous. Um, but I guess my personality by nature is, you know, this is the job you do the job and he, he understands there might be some good and some bad, but 
as our as our relationship grew through the years, um, I always felt like uh, I could go to him for anything, you know, whether it be football or non-football issues. And uh, we still talk, we still text a lot. Um, he's just he's a great friend, but at the same time, I've never learned more football in my life than from from anyone but Mark Trustman when it comes to especially, you know, the passing game wide receiver play, quarterback play, coverages, defenses. I mean, he, he's a wealth of knowledge with, you know, a ton of experience. And he's, you know, he's turned around, you know, some he's, – he's really made a bunch of average quarterbacks great. He's made some great quarterbacks, Hall of Famers. He, he's just – he's a mastermind when it comes to um, the passing game and quarterback play and, 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 and also calling plays. You know, he's, a, he's an excellent play caller. Well, now I got to ask that question. Um, you just led me right into it, Jay Cutler. I mean, is he an average quarterback that he got to play great for a couple of years or what? No, Jay had a lot of strengths. You know, he had a, he had a strong arm. He was he was pretty accurate. Uh, he was mobile. Um, people forget about really, the mobility. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people forget about that. But Jay is a good athlete. Um, but, you know, he ran into some injury issues one season we were down there. Uh, Josh McCown came in, did an excellent job, um, you know, backing up for Jay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to sit here and say anything else about Jay because, you know, I was in a situation where Jay Cutler was our quarterback to the Chicago Bears, and he he did everything in his power to, to help us win football games. We just didn't win enough. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's it's unfortunate because you, you, hear, you hear it's more so people just not understanding Jay more than anything. Uh, yeah. Like Brandon Marshall said, it he would rub people the wrong way because he kind of picked his guys that he could relate to within the locker room, and then that's who he gravitated towards, and he felt like he didn't expand that to other players, and he thought that that hurt the team. I don't know. He had yeah. quite a bit of ability. Yeah, I mean, Brandon knows him, you know, better than I do. I mean, I was in the meetings with the guy. I was on the field with the guy, but um, I, I don't think Jay would tell you that he was the best leader there was. But, you know, some people have certain skill sets. That, that, that's not a knock on him. I mean, there's, there's better leaders out there than you and I. And oh, yeah. uh, that's just the way it goes, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, and I sit there and I think about those rosters that you're a part of on the coaching staff. And, I, I, I mean, a Minnesota boy, so I hate the Bears. I especially hate the Packers. But I look at the Bears roster and, I mean, you guys had Matt Forte, Alshon Jeffrey, Brandon Marshall, Kyle Long was a stud, Julius Peppers, Tim Jennings. I mean, the following year that blows my mind even more was when you guys had Martellus Bennett in there. He had a Pro Bowl year. Um, that defense, though, it just underproduced, too, because there was Jay Ratliff, Jared Allen, DJ Williams, Lance Briggs, Peanut Tillman. I can go on and on and on. Um, is it weird when you're in those situations and you feel like the roster on paper is actually just impeccable, but it's not producing? I mean, you, you've had this experience. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I never worry about the defensive side of the ball as an offensive coach. Yep. I'm 100% focused on, you know, my job. Um, but we were, we, were, we were very gifted in Chicago. Uh, we had Brandon and Alshon at receiver. They both went to the Pro Bowl. Um, Martellus had one of his best years. I think his best year he's ever had. And Forte was the ultimate pro. I mean, that guy was... He was a workhorse. He was just an awesome guy. Like he, he just worked and worked and never said a word. 
And I, I think he had a hundred catches one year down there too. So um, I believe the second or first year down there, we were second or third in the NFL in scoring. So, I mean, we were putting up points and we were doing our thing. We just fell off a little bit in the second year and we didn't, you know, we didn't tie everything together as well um, in year two. And that was obviously kind of led to our demise down there. Yeah. I mean, when I look at that and you're sitting there in meeting rooms, it's, it's just crazy. Offensive quality control later on, you're getting into the, you know, the wide receivers coach for the Eagles and you get to reunite with Alshon again. But when you're in the room with those guys, I mean, were you like a kid in a candy store at times? Well, I think, I think Chicago to start, obviously, you know, I, I was blown away in the sense of more than anything that I had the opportunity to be in a building in an NFL building, because you think about it as a young coach and, you know, I don't know how many years, you know, I was probably 13 years in at that point. And you always just say like, am I ever going to get the opportunity to get to this level? And through networking connections, hard work, people believing in you, you know, it ended up happening. But after a week or two, it, you know, those are just the people you work with. You know, it just turns into they're, they're your coworkers, they're your players. And it's, it's not as much awe anymore when you're in the meeting room. It, it's really about producing and uh, executing the plan every week. Yeah, okay. And then, then after the demise, you said at Chicago, and things kind of fell apart at the end there. Did you go back to the U of M? Yes. What was that experience like? It was great because, well, I was getting paid by the Bears. I ended up not landing a job and got in touch with Coach Kill. And just said, you know, I, I'd, I'd love to, you know, offer my services in any way. So I ended up linking up with the University of Minnesota uh, staff on the offensive side. And they they gave me really full reins for the passing game. And I did a lot of work with Adam Weber, um, who I respect a lot. Great guy. Um, and we just we put game plans for the passing game together every week. And Coach Kill trusted us completely. Matt Langrover, the offensive coordinator, trusted us completely. And we went on some good runs. I think we threw for 400 four games in a row, Michigan, Iowa, Nebraska, Ohio State. Um, and, it, and that was the season also that Coach Kill ended up having to retire, you know, because of uh, his health issues. So it was, uh, it was a great experience. Uh, but it was the best part for me was working with Coach Kill because he, to me, is the most authentic coach that I've ever been around in my career in 20 years. He was just, he's just a solid guy, a solid human being. Um, you know, it was just, it was a pleasure to work with him. Right on, and let's shout out uh, Adam Weber. He just got married to Jasmine Townsend, a uh, former UST stud yep. herself. So yes. very cool connection there. Then after you leave the U of M, you end up going back to the CFL. And then yes. it, it will give us the, the rundown there too. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, I knew the head coach in Edmonton. He offered me the receiver passing game uh, job and I jumped at it because I, I love CFL football. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a great game. Uh, we were a no huddle offense. First time I ever did no huddle up there. Year two, I got to call plays, you know, at the pro level, which, um, which I was very thankful for because you always wonder, can I do it? And you never know until you get the opportunity and things worked out really well up there. And, uh, 
had a great quarterback. That always helps. And we had some great receivers. You know, one was Brandon Zilstra, who obviously uh, is a Minnesota guy, and he's with the Carolina Panthers now. So when you have good players, it helps. So it made my job uh, quite a bit easier up there. And then you come back into the States, and you're with the Eagles under Doug yes. Peterson and that that whole crew. Um, first of all, I want to stay just off the beginning, the – the Eagles media, Philadelphia media in general, is very tough. How is it like dealing with that, just on a mental standpoint? Well, thankfully, I don't read all the articles. Um, I didn't get interviewed really much at all uh, in year one. One of the when I was the assistant receiver coach, year two, more interviews. Uh, but you get prep for those. You know, you have people that, you know, our own media people in Philly. Uh, that work in our building, kind of give you a rundown of what they think will be asked. Uh, but, yeah, there's there's no no forgiveness whatsoever in that media. And, uh, you know, I just learned a long time ago that, you know, nothing's off the record. Uh, these guys, you know, media's, they're not your friend, but they have a job, and their job does mean something, and there's a reason they're there. You just, you just got to go about it the right way and just handle your business and, be professional uh, to the best of your ability. Well, the crazy thing about the Philly media is obviously they're trying to sell some papers, but at the same time, everybody was so hung up on that Super Bowl run and expecting it to be, you know, a repeat or three peat or anything like that because the roster was pretty much, pretty much the same. The only difference is his injuries. Eagles just got hammered with injuries for such yeah. a long time. It's still happening. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't... I don't know the exact answer for that. Um, but, yeah, we, we, we took a hit. I mean, in your my first year being the, the lead receiver coach, um, I don't know, maybe week 12. I mean, we didn't have Deshaun. We didn't have Alshon. We didn't have Nelson. And we were, we were working with practice roster guys and, and guys that were flying in to help us win football games. So, it was a challenge, but it, it was probably, you know, one of the most proud moments I've had as a coach because I think we won four or five down the stretch and uh, we ended up winning the East and we did it with, you know, backups, a bunch of backups. And I felt like we did our best coaching, um, you know, as a staff for those last four to five weeks. Oh yeah. I mean, it wasn't Nelson Aguilar, the, the leading receiver, I think that year. And he, Everybody was ripping him. I felt bad for that kid. They were saying yeah. he couldn't catch. That I'm glad he got to redeem himself last year with the Raiders. But, I yes. mean, you and, look at that and it's. And he was the ultimate pro as well. Like, if you know, Matt Forte to me in Chicago was the ultimate pro. In, in Philly, in my meeting room anyways, I mean, this guy took every note. He studied every night, always asked questions. Um he was just, he's the guy you want in the room, you know, leading the group because he does it the right way and he leads by example. And then you got, you know, I think, I think it got down, like you said, some of the backups where you had Deontay Burnett, Robert Davis, Shelton Gibson, Greg Ward. I, I, you, you sit there and you think about that. And I mean, it was crazy to do what you did, finish nine and seven. It's just absurd, you know? Yeah, we just, and they did a heck of a job. Believe me, we were uh we were grinding those guys because some of them would come in that week and they'd have to play. So uh, credit to the, those guys as well, because they're living their dream. They want a contract, you know, they, they want to continue to, 
to make it in this league. And I thought they did a heck of a job, um, you know, playing for the Eagles and getting us to the playoffs. Between me and you, I want to ask you this part of it too. Um, when you have those young guys like Nelson or, I mean, another one too right off the bat, I think J.J.R. Siegel-Whiteside was your rookie that year. I, I don't know. It might have been his second year, but I think it was his first year. Yep. When you have a media that's so tough like that, how do you keep those guys with the right mindset? Well, I mean, I think a good example, I have two good examples. You know, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside comes in and, you know, it's the best time of his life. Well, it turns out he probably wasn't ready to play yet. So we were, you know, doing everything we could to catch him up to speed. And then he'd play a little bit. You know, he wasn't producing at the level they wanted to produce. And he went from being drafted to hearing it in the media. And Nelson Aguilar, when he went through his slump a little bit during the season, same thing. You know, he was getting killed. And the best thing those guys can do at that time is get rid of social media. You know, get rid of the Instagram, get rid of, you know, Twitter. Just get rid of that stuff because when you don't read it and you just go about your business every day, um, the, the people in the building got your back. You know, that's the important thing. All these guys, their teammates, they got their back whether they have a bad game or not. But you you, you really just got to forget about the outside noise and focus on your job. And usually that helps. And I guess the reason why I'm even getting to this point, too, is I'm seeing, you know, I'm hearing how unforgiving it is towards some of these guys. But then there's guys like Zach Ertz, you know, who's hurt because he wanted a long-term deal and to stay there for the rest of his career who's probably on his, on the move right now, um, or he might even be a potential cut. Um, do you see guys like Nelson who is just like, I want to get the hell out of here because I don't want to do this another year. And then you see Ertz who, who's so in love with, you know, Philly. Uh, I guess I couldn't speak for those guys. I don't really know. I think most guys are so dedicated to their team and their player, you know, the other guys around them that they, they want to stay where they're at. Um, but I'm sure there's situations out there in football where people want to move on and they want to do it in a different city. Um, but just from my general, you know, view, point of view, I think most guys, they like the guys they're playing with typically. Sure. So they, they like being on the team they're on. And then I wanted to re rewind it a little bit. Your first year there after the Super Bowl, What's it like coming into that situation with Doug Peterson? I, I think you guys had a bunch of turnover. I think they just lost, like, Frank Reich, Flip, I think, just left. Um, I think there's a couple other guys, too, actually, now I'm thinking about it. But what is that situation like coming in from that, where it's the high expectations and then the – Well, I, I mean, I think anyone that has won a Super Bowl, obviously I haven't. I think it's hard just to rebound right away. I'm talking the next two, three, four weeks, you know, because you have people chasing you down every day to do interviews, go meet so-and-so, shake hands with so-and-so. I think it's hard on some of the, you know, maybe the head coaches and the coordinators uh, because there's so many things coming at them. And the other thing is when you win a Super Bowl, all these other teams have been working during that stretch of the playoffs and now you feel like you might be two, three, four, five weeks behind the way it is. Um, so that's what gets tough. You know, that, that off season just shrinks down and, and you're ready to go right, you know, right away. But for me personally, I didn't look at it at all when I got hired as 
they, I'm going to the Super Bowl champs. To me, it was just I have an opportunity to work in an organization that was winning football games and doing well. And what can I do or provide to help this organization in any way? So I definitely wasn't riding that Super Bowl moment because I had nothing to do with it. And respectfully, you know, the guys that were there did all the work. Yeah. And you're coming in that next year too with, I mean, then you got the Nick Foles and Carson Wentz. Sometimes I just feel like the media has hurt the team more than, than anything because they're starting problems that don't even need to be there. Yeah. I mean, that's when you're talking about the NFL, I mean, it's, it's year round, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I mean, there's always something going on and their job is to, to get the stories going. And then however they unwind, they unwind that way. And you know, we, we just saw it unfold. I mean, Carson just got traded to the Colts to reunite with Frank, um, yep. which I probably a great situation. Um, unbelievable situation for him. And I hope he rebounds. I mean, an NDSU fan, he's awesome kid. Um, and then you see Jalen hurts. Who's now probably going to be the QB one, or uh, I, I'm sure they'll try to bring in somebody to help him compete, but I'm, I'm sure Jalen's probably walking away with that regardless. I don't even know. I, I don't even, I can't even fathom the the mental side of it all on top of trying to do your job. And then on top of that life, you know what I mean? I, I feel like a coach's job in general is so over the top. You were just talking about your brother. He's a family man now. And I'm sure that had a lot to do with him having his three daughters and saying, man, coaching and my kids, it's very hard to do both. Yeah. So I can't imagine coaching, teaching all these guys who are essentially kids to you and then trying to keep them on track with everything else going on, plus they're just regular day-to-day life. That's yeah. the stuff that's. Yeah, well, I'd say this. I mean, coaching in the NFL, um, I feel like half your job is psychology. You know, building relationships with these guys, um, maintaining relationships with these guys, uh, knowing the difference between each of them, and handling them in in their own specific way because you don't. You don't handle all of them the same. You don't handle a Brandon Marshall the same as an Earl Bennett. You don't handle a Deshaun Jackson the same way as you handle a Greg Ward. They're different people. They have different personalities, and that's part of your job to take that into account. And then, you know, there's not a lot of time during the season for for your personal life, but um, I got to have friends out there and family out there for most of the home games, and you get a, whether it be a Friday, Saturday night, uh, go out and have a beer, go out and have dinner with them. And besides that, man, I mean, I'm just saying it's 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 easier on me because I'm single. I don't have any children. Um, and these guys that have two, three kids and they're coaching at the NFL level. And, you know, you're trying to trying to raise a family, run a family, but you're working 16 hour days. I'm sure it's challenging. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I, I think about that stuff. I love football. And then when I think about all the work that it entails, I go, you know what? Sometimes it's easier being a fan. Yeah. <laughs> watching you on Sunday. Um, some of the questions that Q sent me in that we wanted to ask because he couldn't make it because of work. Um, some of your favorite techniques that you're teaching some of these receivers. Yeah. Um, I think that the, the probably the, the easiest part of receiver play to coach and really enhance someone in is probably route technique. You know, uh, it's, it's tough if you're not a good releaser at the line of scrimmage to get someone to be a, to an excellent re- releaser because it takes so much reactionary quickness and you either have it or you don't. Um, 
it's hard to coach someone up on how to catch a football at that level. You can definitely do it and you can increase someone's ability, but being a natural pass catcher or being, being able to win contested catches, a lot of that's just what you were God given in my opinion, but route technique, um, you know, example would be if you're, you know, running a, a corner route, um, you know, trying to get into someone's blind spot. So if you get someone in a back pedal and you can jump into their blind spot, then they're going to, you know, do their little hip turn and then you can go the other way. You know, I think when you're running a 14 yard comeback and they're playing cover three and instead of staying vertical, you know, chases back hip, get them to get into his blind spot. And then usually they lose you. So I think a, a lot of good receivers nowadays are really getting better at, finding DB's blind spots, whether it be man or whether it be off technique zone. You know, when you're talking about the releases, you, somebody who I think of who's amazing is Deshaun Jackson. And, you know, they say as he's getting older, he's losing a step. I don't see it. I mean, the guy's still quicker than a heart attack. Um, yeah. God given, like you said, but how, how, how do you even like when you're talking to a guy like that, who's already been, at such a high level, how do you even help him? Are you just saying, all right, this is what you're doing wrong? Um, I mean, with, with a guy like Deshaun, really what I tried to do, and I did this with all the receivers, you know, make sure they, they have a general knowledge of the DBs that they're facing that week. So we have video cutups on if he's going to come up and try to jam you, how, he, how he's going to play in man. Is he going to play head up? Is he going to play outside? Depending on, you know, what front they have going on inside. But, really just give him the tools of what he's going to be facing that week. Um, and then show him different releases that people have been using on that DB that have been successful. Uh, I'm not going to mandate to Deshaun Jackson how to release. He told me once, he said, coach, I do the opposite of what they do. You know, when they go this way, I go that way. But he's a one percenter in the league that can just react to what they're doing. I mean, I, I think Tyreek Hill's probably like that. I think, you know, Devante Adams in Green Bay is probably in that mode. They're just out there reacting to what the DB's doing and they're doing the opposite. And I'm not taking anything away from any, any coaches because there's still is stuff you can coach these guys up on, but they just have an elite level of quickness um, where it's, it's like you're playing basketball against somebody. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's just trying to get by the guy, you know, with, with the ball in your hands. Okay. And then, you know, Q also wanted to know what some of your favorite receivers are that you've worked with. Well, my, my relationship is probably strongest with Elshon Jeffrey because I've had him in two different places. And, um, I mean, I was close to Brandon Marshall. I still talk to Brandon. And then probably Nelson Aguilar would be next, you know, at the NFL level. Uh, just because he was, he's just such a good guy. He's got a good heart and I saw how hard he worked and had the opportunity to, you know, FaceTime Nelson, you know, probably once every month or so we still talk. So at that level, definitely those, those three guys. Um, but, you know, Brandon Zilstra, I mean, he's close to my heart too. He stopped over here in the Northeast maybe a month ago and we went and, you know, grabbed some lunch, lunch together. So, um, I, I do a pretty good job of staying in touch with a lot of my guys in Canada and, um, you know, even some guys that I coached back at Winona State, you know, I'm good friends with those guys as well. 
That's awesome. I mean, uh, when you're dealing with somebody who's, I feel like Alshon's actually a quiet guy. At least that's what I see as a fan. Uh, but Brandon, who's a lot more outspoken, uh, having those two, you know, clearly different. But I mean, I think at the time when you were with him in Chicago is when it came out that he had his borderline personality disorder, bipolar. Um, what's it like with the interactions with him to, to try to keep him? I don't want to say set him off or anything like that, because I think everybody has a good day and a bad day. But how do you keep him even keel, you know, on task? I think just once they know that you're working for them, uh, that you're doing everything in your power to help them master their craft every day, um, giving them all the tools possible to be successful at the position because most of the best, most of the best people in the world, they want you to be demanding with them. Um, they want you to be, have clarity in what their job is and what their role is. I mean, they want that discipline, the best players in the world. And, um, you know, there's, don't get me wrong. There's times in Chicago where Brandon turned around and said things that I can't say on our program here to me. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the job, you know. People are going to have bad days. They're going to lash out. But I would say almost every time Brandon ever lashed out at me, at the end of practice, he'd come up, put his arm around me, and say, I love you, Coach. So it was in the heat of the moment, in the heat of competition. I mean, we saw Brady this last Super Bowl. You know, he apologized for lashing out. I mean, these guys have a ton of pressure on them, so. To me, it comes with the job. It's going to happen. And um, if anyone gives me apology, apology, I'm forgiving them. I've been there too, you know? Yeah. I, I, I also think here too, another one that's that's tri- coming off of my brain really quick. Um, with Alishon, he's in such a, you know, you have a close relationship with him. That's why I'm asking it. But he's in such a weird situation these last two seasons. Philly has been, you know, upset with his contract situation. But as a coach of somebody you love, you want to see your player get paid. And they've, they've earned it. In my opinion, they've earned it, and they should get paid what they can get while they can get it. And, and that's how yes. I think it. Get your money. Um, but in a situation like that, who he, he's had – did he have the lens frack? He, he's had some weird injuries lately. And his I, last one. His last one, yep. And so, I mean, I, I still think he's, he's got the ability to be the player. I don't know if he'll have the same kind of separation, but that probably doesn't matter because he's such a big body receiver. Um, what's it like dealing with that? And, again, I keep asking all these mental sides because that's, that's what intrigues me the most is just how the hell do you deal with it? You know what I mean? Well, I think even at Elshon's age in his career, all these players realize that they have a mortality in this game. You know, there's 21-year-olds and 22-year-olds coming out every year, you know, chasing them for their jobs. So um, the injuries are, are the thing that, you know, sets them back the most. And it, it is hard to see because these guys work so hard in the offseason and then they don't have the opportunity, per se, to showcase their skills during the season. And when you're close and you have a good relationship with these guys, you know, it's even harder. So it's just part of the game. and. Uh, they understand it. We understand it. And when you're in the moment of all of it, it truly is next man up because you don't have, you don't have time to think about it. you got to get someone else ready to play. And that's your job is to make sure that your unit is, you know, being productive. So do you think Alishan's he's going to come back and he's going to be productive? He's going to be his old self here soon or, or very similar? I, I, I haven't, you know, I haven't been around Alishan for a year and a half now. 
So it's hard for me to comment. I mean, the one thing that Elshon will always have is, I mean, he is, he wins contested catches. He's a big, powerful receiver. He knows how to use technique. Um, and he's just a big man, you know, so he's always going to be a matchup problem. The things that are going to hurt Elshon down the road are obviously separation and speed and, and things that naturally go with everybody's body. Um, but I wouldn't bet against him. You know, I wouldn't bet against him. He's, he's a, he's a dominant force. And you hear, you hear Brandon saying he still wants to come back into the NFL. He's really mad about how it ended in Seattle and he claims he's still training. I know he said he just hurt his back, but, um, I know the reason being is he wants to go to the hall, you know, and that, that was a driving force for him. I think that's why he had such a great work ethic. But when you hear guys like him or Terrell Owens say, you know, I could still play or I could, I could be a threat in the red zone. What do you think, you know, being a coach, seeing the stuff out there, what do you think when you hear stuff like that? I mean, it's hard to bet against guys like that because they were so good for so long. I don't know the ages of either guy. Um, but for me to say that they couldn't be a factor in a red zone, uh, I can't say that, you know, but uh, can they go out and play 70 downs? Probably not. That's probably not what they want to do. But we're talking about two guys that did it as good as anyone did it over, you know, the last 15, 20 years. So um, I never count people out. Do you ever think the NFL will get to that point where, you'll see some of these older players actually play longer. I, I think Brady obviously gives a lot of people hope, but he also plays a position where I think you can get away with it a little bit easier. Not saying that. No. Or go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it all comes down to if, if you are being productive at your position, they don't care what age you are. Um, but the second they have someone that's 15 years younger, and he's doing it as well as you, then the writing's on the wall for a lot of these guys. But um, if your body can hold up and you, you can manage the tasks of everyday NFL life, um, I don't think people look at it and say, well, we can't have him back next year because he's 36 now. It's how productive are you uh, at your position? What about the cost side of it all, though, the salary? Do you think that plays a pretty big role? I know that they've tried to alleviate some of the rulings so that you could keep some of these older players and still count them as minimum contracts. But I mean, it's not set up to be an old man's game. It's set up to be a young man's game for sure. At that aspect. Yeah. I think it, I think it depends a little bit positionally on, and what the market is for that position. I mean, you know, playing linebacker or fullback in the NFL, you might be able to hang on to those guys, but yeah, I mean, if, if you have to pay a, a wide receiver or a, a DB, you know, max money because they're late in their career, um, it could be challenging. But I think a lot of a lot of these players at that point in their career still have some give in their contracts where they'll say, yeah, I can restructure. Maybe I can give a little money back. But uh, every situation is different, you know. Um, with the draft coming up, are there any receivers that you're really looking forward to? If you had, say you could pick the top five that you'd love to have on your team, or have you even paid attention to anything like that? I haven't. I haven't. I mean, I haven't, I haven't watched those guys. I don't know who the top five guys are. I think there's a kid from LSU and I think there's a kid from 
a couple of guys from Alabama. Uh, so I'm sure they'll probably be the top three picked. Um, but I haven't, I've have not evaluated any of those guys. Okay. And then the other, the other remaining questions from, from uh, Q were uh, toughest receivers in the league today. You want to know what your opinion was on that? Well, I think Jarvis Landry has a place probably somewhere in that conversation. Um, he's a guy that's probably not loaded up on every single category when it comes to running, uh, speed, but this guy is a technician. He is, uh, he's as tough as they come. He can make all the catches. Um, I just look at him as a guy as I just see him as a football player, you know, he's not someone that's going to back down from anyone. He's got all the heart. He's got all the will. Um, kind of reminds me of like an old school Heinz Ward. Like I was Heinz just going to say that <laughs> a guy like they don't have everything. They don't have every box checked, but they're, they're hardcore football players. They love football. They love the game and they, they love winning. So they'll do anything it takes to win. Um, that's probably someone that comes to mind and I don't know, him whatsoever. I've just had the opportunity to see him on film and the way he goes about his business. Okay. What's your top five receivers all time? Oh God. You make me, I mean, I'll just say some names like obviously growing up in Minnesota, watching Randy Moss. I mean, there's not many people that were as electric as he was. Uh, you know, Jerry Rice is in the conversation probably. Uh, based off pure production and length of years in the NFL. Um, Calvin Johnson, I mean, he retired to his prime, but, I mean, who did it as well as he did it, you know, at all levels, you know, whether it's a, the short game, the intermediate game, or, or the long ball. I mean, he, he was a beast to deal with as well. So um, I know I'm probably missing a, a ton of really good receivers, but, like, those three jump out to me right away. Um, you know, just here having conversation. I got a question right off the bat, and I, I'm hoping I'll hear a bias just because we're Minnesota boys, but Randy Moss and Jerry, who to you is the better player? And and I'm going to say it like this. I'd like you to take into consideration, yes, Jerry was very productive, had a very long career, but Randy Moss changed the way defenses were played, and he didn't really play with that great of QBs. Dante had a couple good years, but when you have that in-between before he went to the Pats with Oakland, it was not pretty. Yeah. I just If someone said who is the most refined wide receiver, the route runner, did everything probably the right way, but he was probably a little bit more finesse, it's probably Jared. But, I mean, Randy Moss did things that, just put like you're in awe, you know, just throw up the ball. And it was like, he's playing against little kids, like in the back lawn, just like, I'm going to catch 99% of these. Um, and just, just his speed and acceleration. I mean, some of the short passes he used to catch and then just turn it on and just, you know, he's pulling away from world-class athletes, making them look, like I said, like, they're, you know, they don't deserve to be in his, in his class. So it, to me, it was just more like the jaw-dropping moments and jaw-dropping highlights that he had where it's like, I, I don't know if we will ever see that again, 
where I think you may be able to see a Jerry Rice in him. I love that response. You know, I, I think about the coolest play to me that I've seen from Randy Moss, which he did, like you said, so many amazing things, but it was a little like bubble screen, and it was the no-look one-handed catch. He saw the ball yeah. coming his way, had his hand up, didn't even look at it, started looking up field, caught it. That, to yeah. me, is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's an elite dude. He's an elite dude. I, I like the one in Dallas where he was going down the sideline and he just made one step <laughs> like he was going to cut back and then stayed on path. Like, I mean, he was like, that dude was right there. And, you know, he, that I think people <clears throat> always talk about how fast Randy Moss was, but he was as quick as anyone in the NFL as well. I mean, he went from zero to 10 yards like nobody else. And he was also, I think that same game, he should have had four touchdowns on four catches, but one got called back, I believe. I can't remember off the top, but I'm pretty sure it was I know supposed he had to be three, four. I think, that day. He had three for sure, and I think there was supposed to be a fourth that got called yeah. back because of a flag. Yeah. yeah. And I, it, the thing, too, with me when it comes to Randy versus Jerry, like you said, I, that was the coolest way I've ever heard of it being said is you think you could see another one of Jerry. I don't think you'll ever see a Randy, and the crazy thing is is he didn't do it with the quarterback play that Jerry had with Joe and Steve, but at the same time, he didn't go over the middle. You know what I mean? Like he, he didn't really go over the middle. So, I mean, you knew what he was going to do, and you still couldn't stop it. Schemes were completely altered single-handedly by him. Yep. That's, that's what gives me the, you know, the nod. Yeah, and I think, I think most people in the football world today – would probably explain it the same way. Like, who are you more afraid of? Well, I'm more afraid of Randy Moss. Like, if you ask defenses, they're probably going to say, I don't want to play against Randy Moss. <laughs> um, that That's, I mean, I'd love to wrap it up right there. That was probably the coolest take I've, I've ever had, even on this show, period. So thank you for that. All right. Thanks for having me. Hope to see you back in the NFL, Coach. Appreciate it, man. Have a good day.